The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. This is episode number 40, and we are so glad you decided to join us this week. My guest uh, in the conversation this week, Keith Stubbs, is not only a hilarious comedian, so funny, but also the owner of Wise Guys Comedy Clubs uh, here in Utah. It's three comedy clubs, and they are just a fantastic place to go and enjoy some really good laughs. We've got a great conversation with Keith, such a good man. And uh, this week in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to talk a little bit about giving people chances. That's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And my guest today has had his name mentioned, I think, more than anyone else in the history of the podcast. No way. I think it's true. I think that your name has come up probably seven or eight times. Uh, Steve Solberg, Josh Fonokalafi, um, D- Dave Nibley, Michael Berkland, Jeff Burke. I mean, all these guys. Every no. one of them. Really? Yes. I think your name has come up on every one of those. My guest today is not just a comedian. I would say the comedic icon of Salt Lake. I would say that because it's the biggest, it's the only real comedy clubs in Utah. And you get the highest caliber talent, and especially we're in downtown Salt Lake at Wise Guys Comedy Club, a gorgeous, amazing club. My guest is club owner and icon, Keith Stubbs. Uh, thank you so much. I think maybe you overstated with the intro a little bit. That's, that's very nice of you, Sean. Not at all, Keith. It's a real pleasure. So I'm, I've got to open up telling our listeners, I, I told this story once before, uh, and you won't remember this, but probably 18 years ago. Okay. Uh, I was a, a lowly opener at Johnny B's Comedy Club, mm-hmm. and Johnny did not like having locals headline. He had a couple of some Salt Lake guys, yes, but his kind of guys that came up through the club, he just preferred that, you know, you got outside guys. So I never had the chance to headline. I opened for you, mm-hmm. and you said, how come you're not headlining? And I just said, I haven't had the chance yet. And you said, come up to my club, and I'll have you headline. It was up by, a, maybe in a trolley square. Anyway, you said, I'll have you headline. So the first time I ever headlined was for you. You gave me my big break. Is that good or bad? That's it's good, fantastic. right? It's great. It's like that That set me on the path of needing to have 45 minutes that are good. Steve Solberg and I, a couple of weeks ago, we had a discussion about the difference between having 45 and having good 45. <laughs> There's a big difference. But I'll tell you this, though. Um, when I first started out doing comedy in Los Angeles, because yeah. that's where I started. I'm not from Utah. I'm from South Carolina. Yeah. But lived in L.A. And when I started doing stand-up, I was living in L.A. And I really wanted to get things going because I didn't start doing comedy when I was 18 or 20 or 25. I started in 1991. So I was 31 years old at the time. You didn't start comedy till you were 30. 31. 31. 31 years old. So I knew that I had to amp it up. If I was going to do this, if this was going to be my game, if this is what I was going to do, that I need to accelerate the process, whatever that was. And at the time, when That's I started amazing. with comedy, I was a stockbroker. I was with Payne Weber, but I thought, 
I've got to get this baby going. I don't have five years to try to put it together. So I worked really, really hard and I got myself booked on the road up in the Northwest for a guy named David Tribble. Now at that time, you you would send these VHS tapes out, these big clunky VHS tapes in the bubble wrap. You would put them in the mail, make up a fake bio, (laughs) send it to someone, hope that they would would buy into it and say, yeah, I would love to work for you. I'm a headliner, even though I know I wasn't. Yeah, I've got plenty of time. I can do 45 to an hour, which I knew I couldn't. And then I was able to get myself booked. I was very uh, persuasive at the time. I was able to get myself booked. At that point though, Sean, what I was able to do is, is force myself and push myself to write material. I just kind of put a lot of heat on myself, kind of like yeah. you, you're going, sure. I don't know if I have 45. Well, you know what? By the time you headline, you better. Yeah. And then it motivates you, kicks you in the behind and you end up doing it. So that's what I did. So when I see a guy like you, this is actually where this is all going. When I see a guy like you, when I saw a guy like Ryan Hamilton, when I saw a guy like Bent Washburn, a lot of these great comics that maybe at the time didn't have their full headline set ready. I go, well, look, I'll book you three months down the road. And then, you know, you got to get your stuff together. They get their stuff together and I think it pushes them. But before I do that, I got to feel that they yeah. got it in them where they can yeah. do it. They have the ability to do it. And of course, you were one of those. Well, you were very kind. And I got uh, the chance to headline many times since, which mm-hmm. was really fun. I especially, you've got a club up in Ogden that I have a special place in my heart for. It's the best room I've ever worked. Mm-hmm. I mean, corporate or not, there is something about that room that is just amazing. It's, it's a magic room. But There's something got- about it. You've got, you have like a passion for helping young comics. Was that because people gave you a chance or was that because you had a harder time? What, what drives you to help so many young comics? Well, I know how hard it is. I, I know it's not an easy business at all. Yeah. There were people, once again, I started in LA, so I didn't start in Salt Lake City or Portland or anywhere else. I was in LA, which is a tough place to start doing comedy. Oh, yeah. And there were a few people that were really good to me. Others, and you, you know, I, I don't really hold any negative feelings towards people that didn't help me because a lot of these people are just trying to get their own careers going. Sure. Like there's a lot of times people go, Hey, I want to get, can you get me this? It's like, dude, I can't get me that. How am I going to get you? Like there's people I know they'll go, yeah. Hey, I want to do Conan. Can you get me on Conan? I said, if I could get you on Conan, I'd get me on, I'd be Conan. on Conan. Right. Yeah. So there are times when you want people to help you and they really can't. And I don't fault those people, but if I can, I will. And when I started doing comedy a long, long time ago, there was a guy that was really helpful, and his name was Bruce Baum. Do you remember Bruce Baum? I remember Baum? Bruce Baum, yeah, sure. He was on Make Me Laugh and all those yeah. shows, and he's not out there anymore touring. But he was, at that time, he was on yeah. Fox TV a lot, and he was kind of a big deal. Sure. And he was very kind to me, and he gave me lots of opportunities, and I appreciate it. I'll never forget it, as you can tell. Yeah. And so I don't mind helping people as long as they'll put the effort in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause Which we've late, seen that too. Yeah, we've seen the other where they get yeah. the opportunity and they drop the ball and then hopefully they'll learn from it or maybe maybe yeah. that's their nature. I don't really know. Or maybe comedy is just not for them. That's true too. There are those guys too <laughs> that maybe, you know, we talk about, we've talked about with other comics who I believe the test of whether or not you're a comedian is what you do the morning after the first time you bomb. Because we've all bombed, mm-hmm. right? Every one of us. Mm-hmm. If you get up that next morning and go, wow, I'm glad that's over. I'll never do that again. Then you're not a comic. Right. But if you get up that next morning and go, you know, I did get one laugh. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, you dissect your entire set. Yeah. You try to think of one moment. And I'll tell comics this too. Look at the one good thing that you had. Because if you just wallow in the negative, yeah. it'll eat you alive. However, being a comedian, I remember more of the bad sets than I do the good sets. I, think I could tell do, right? you a hundred stories of misery, but yeah. I probably can't tell you a hundred stories of this was the most awesome thing. I have... I've had some awesome moments in my career. Yeah. But if you talk to any comic, they don't want to hear those. No. They don't want to hear this great thing that happened. <laughs> they want to hear the horrible thing that happened because it's gallows humor yeah. and we can all relate because we've all been there. So you book, I mean, when we say wise guys, especially this downtown location, you are booking the top comedians in the world. I mean, if people, our biggest listener base is Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, unless you really follow the names that you get in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you have big, big name talent, uh, people that are, you know, big national touring acts. What is their response to Utah? Do you get questions about Utah? Like, Hey, is, is this going to be Mormon? Do I have to change my set? Yeah. I have people ask that there are concerns. There used to be more concerns than there are now because I feel like overall we have a pretty good reputation, but there were times, and even when I go back to New York city or LA and I'll talk to comedians, They'll, if if they haven't been there, they're usually, oh boy, Salt Lake City. Ah, what's that <laughs> like? But since we've been around and we've had great experiences yeah. with most of the comedians that come through, they'll tell other comics because you know that. Yeah. Everybody talks. Sure. And they'll say, man, you've got to get to Salt Lake City. When I have, so when I have someone yeah. of note here, they're telling their friends. So as far as getting great comics booked, it's not that hard anymore. Yeah. Anymore. It was hard at the beginning. Yeah. 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 Cause they're going, well, who are you? What do you guys do? Plus you've got such a great club that's been around for so long now, multiple locations with a great reputation. Whereas there are a lot of, there are a lot of difficult rooms out there. Yeah. This is not one. I mean, this is a beautiful, real, like awesome club. You know what the battle is? The battle is, and this is, I, I, I struggle with this. And I do this seven days a week because when you're self-employed, no matter you want to disconnect, you want to say, uh, turn it off. And it's really hard when you're self-employed because the weight of all of that is on you continuously. But my goal is to have every show be amazing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Spectacular. It's not possible, but I'm not talking about when I perform. I'm talking about any show that we have. The experience I want to be great. And when it's not great, it disappoints me. If if the sound's not right, if the lighting's not right, if there's someone that won't shut up in the audience, yeah. and they, they won't respect the, the, the artist that's on stage, those things bother me so much. I tell the wait staff here. Yeah, you take it very personally. Be, I do take it personally. Yeah. I say, whenever, whenever any staff here, I go, you need to understand the reason these people are in this room tonight isn't because our nachos are great. <laughs> it is because you're a good looking waitress. Is it because of me? It's because yeah, of sure. what's happening on stage. That is it. They can get a burger anywhere. Yeah. They can go sit in a chair anywhere. Sure. They can go look at girls anywhere. Yeah. But they, the, I, the entertainment experience, that is why the people are here. So that's why when waitresses are out there taking orders, the, the idea is to keep it down. When there's yeah. someone getting chatty in the audience, be quiet. This guy's got it under control or gal's got it under control. Let them do their show. So my goal is to have every show here. It, it's impossible, by the way. But yeah. to have every show in here be 
awesome. People just need to have great an amazing experience. experience. But you've set the table for that. And one thing I will say, a personal experience, I was, I've been very fortunate that I've, for the most part, had really good shows when I've worked for mm-hmm. you. I had one show <laughs> Here it comes. that tanked so bad. It's the worst club show I've ever had. I don't know what was going on that night, but it was, I mean, Keith, it was horrific. Where was it? It was horribly embarrassing. It was Salt Lake, but I don't remember which location it was. Okay. It, may, it may have been West, I think it was West Valley, uh-huh. in fact. So, I, I mean, I tanked in such <laughs> epic proportions. And you were walking along the back of the room. And you kept laughing at my jokes. You were the only one in the room. And you're like trying to, it was like, it was like watching a scout try to start a fire. Like, like, ha ha, ha ha. Isn't that great, folks? I mean, you were back there almost like, I mean, almost just with this, like trying so that that was the only laugh I got. And I remember I got off stage. I was so embarrassed. I don't know what happened. I just got rocked for whatever reason. I lost it, never got it back. And I didn't let you pay me for that show. I remember I was so upset about it. I said, I can't even... I'm so embarrassed. I can't. And I came back and had one of the best shows I've ever had. I only remember it was a good show because of how bad the first one right. was. Right. Exactly. And you work hard throughout the night. You're there giving it your all all night. Once again, I want the shows to be awesome. And I know how, I will say this in my defense, not that I need to, I don't care. I know what it's like to be on stage. I know what it's like to yeah. have distractions. I know what it's like to have a joke bomb. I know what it's like to eat it on stage. I know what it's like to prepare all week for a show yeah. and you have it in your head how it's going to go and then have it go off the rails in two seconds. Sure. I've had that happen and I know what it feels like yeah. and it's horrible. It's so anticlimactic and defeating and disappointing and discouraging and makes you want to quit. Uh, I know what that's like. So if you're up there or anyone's up there and it's not going that way, believe me, I'm not some guy going, oh, why doesn't he just do this or that? Because I know how yeah. it is, how we, how difficult it is to turn things around sure. and get them to go the right way. So how rewarding is it then? You see guys like you mentioned, Bent Washburn, yeah. super touring guy. I've had the pleasure of performing with him a lot. Ryan Hamilton opened for you, opened for me. Mm-hmm. Like we saw Ryan. When he not was, anymore. Yeah. He, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, really? You don't have Ryan open for no, you anymore? No, no. I don't think any of us. He's... But what's awesome is he still comes back. Uh-huh. And how satisfying is that to see him with his own Netflix Netflix special and uh-huh. going, he was born here. Yeah. He cut his teeth here. Mm-hmm. How rewarding is that? Well, you know what? I, I don't take credit for the success of any comic. I encouraged him. He's a great guy. He's a great friend. But let me tell you, that's a worker, man. Yeah. He works Harder than he probably gets credit for. He's a great guy. And there's a lot of great guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The guy that delivers my Coca-Cola here is a great guy. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's a great comic. Ryan is an exceptional comic that, once again, I don't believe he gets the credit he deserves from some people as being a really hard worker. Yeah. And he's been at it for a long time. And, of course, it's paying off, man. That Netflix yeah. special was spectacular. I mean, and he's performing... Coming up, this is breaking news. Ooh. He's performing at Kingsbury Hall. What? In the fall. I believe it. So he's It'll headlining Kingsbury Hall in the fall. Yeah. We're going to make the announcement this week. That's exciting. So there you go. There's a little something for you. That's just awesome. So when most of the, when you get national comics who come in here, come in from LA, New York, or wherever, how often do they ask you if you're LDS? Does um, that happen? Yeah. Yeah. About half the time. Half about the time that much. Yeah, because they're always like, who in here is Mormon? I go, I am. Yeah. Really? <laughs> you don't seem Mormon. I go, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think the 
the, the reputation a lot of Mormons have that they're wound up tight or maybe they're the, you know, what they see on like a polygamous reality TV show. I, I don't know what they think, but then when yeah. they see me, but they also know that I'm a comedian or most of them do yeah. anyway, know that I'm a comic and they're like, oh, really? But I think that it disarms them a little bit. I think it also helps the cause because they go, wow, you're cool with me. Yeah. You're, you're cool with, with who I am because the comedians I bring in range from one to 100, whatever you want. Believe me, it's a, it's a wide variety of talent. Just like if you go to the USANA amphitheater to see a concert, you're going to yeah. see jazz, you're going to see rock, you're going to see metal, you're going to see rap, you're going to see whatever. Yeah. That's what Wise Guys is. It's a venue for stand-up comedy right? and not just a certain genre of No, and you comedy. get a very, very diverse set of comics here. But I'll say this. Most comics, I probably shouldn't even put them in. in look, it's showbiz. It's it's Hollywood, man. Right, it, it is. They're, they're libs. Yeah. They're all libs. Yeah. They think that, uh, and I don't really care, but I mean, that's who, you're, that's who I'm dealing that's with. That's who they are. Oh, yeah. And that's fine. And they've got their preconceived notions about no, who we are. No doubt about no it. No question. But I think that this helps. Yeah. Because no, I think a lot of them meet you. And you may be the only Mormon they really know, or maybe they work with Steve Solberg or well, Josh Fonokalafi. Some that come here, like a guy that's here right now, and all the comics come out of New York, they know Ryan. Oh, they all know Ryan. Yeah, that's true. And they so all know he's Mormon. They know, they know that Ryan's yeah. Mormon. They know Ryan's from here. Yeah. And then they, through that, I've met a lot of them in New York City myself, and they know about me. So they're cool. I mean, even some of the most... Let me see how to describe that. Some of the comedians that you wouldn't think would even roll with that at all, yeah, are fine. Yeah, they're like, oh, really? That's cool. They're not. They're not jerks about it. Sure. They may think stuff, and that's okay. I don't really care. Who I mean, cares? look, I yeah. think stuff about <laughs> me too. I, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 like, yeah. I, yeah. But yeah, so there's. Uh, I think Ryan has done a good job out there, and yeah, I just I, do my I think thing. You, I really think that it is a form of missionary work. People get to know you. You have certain comics that come back again and again. Mm -hmm. And then if they're in L.A., something comes up about Mormonism. I think there are some who go, no, hey, you got it wrong. I know Mormons. Right. I actually know them and they're cool. One of my favorite guys to work with doesn't tour anymore. But you remember Jim Hope? Yes. Jim Hope was Very one funny. of my favorite comics of all time. Uh -huh. And I remember he used to do a bit down in Provo, especially because Provo, they'd hit it a little bit harder about the Mormon stuff. Of course. You know, and, and he did a bit where he... He'd say something about how much he loved Mormons and people would start cheering and he'd go, oh, you can cheer, cheer all you want. I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> it was one of my favorite lines ever. He was a devout born again Christian guy, but uh, he, he'd always say Mormons are the most wrong people on the planet, but boy, are they nice. The nicest people. He goes, hell is going to be the nicest place ever because of how many Mormons are there. That's great. Yeah, he's fantastic. Well, I, I will say this too. It helps. If, if Mormons have a sense of humor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because when they don't, when yeah. they're judgmental yeah, and yeah, believe yeah. me, I'm, when I say we, I mean me, yeah. I don't want anybody listening. Well, who are you talking about me? No, probably so. Probably every so. Us, Anyone that's taking offense to us probably <laughs> one, because look, I grew up, my mom was that way. My, I grew up in South Carolina. I grew up yeah. in Charleston and we were one of the there weren't a lot of Mormon families out there, and our entire family was Mormon. And I still mean, aren't. And still I mean, are there Mormon. There still are not a lot of Mormon families in Charleston. But man, there's more it's than grown, there. It's grown, for sure. There's more than, than there was, though. But back but then, still, there was nothing. Yeah. And 
And I, I think that growing up out there, and not necessarily Charleston, but just not here, but yeah. out there, when I say out there, I mean anywhere but here. But maybe even more so, the South is a different thing. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, You're it right. is a different, different thing, you know? So tell us a little bit about, I mean, you, you grew up... You grew up in Charleston, which I was in Charleston last week, as you know. Beautiful place. Yes, it is. I mean, amazing food. Nicest people on earth. Yeah. I, I will say some of the nicest, least helpful people on earth. <laughs> like, I noticed this this last week. If you ask someone for directions, if they don't know, that's not going to stop them from spending 20 minutes talking to you about it. <laughs> You're in a hurry. <laughs> but they will sit there and just, so where are y'all from? Oh, there was a place called Jim's, but it's now called Bob's. Oh, not Bob's. No, it's my cousin. You should meet my cousin. <laughs> Nicest people. And you're going, can I get out of here, please? It's, nice people. So were you born in South Carolina? Yeah. Born in Bennettsville, South Carolina, which is a couple hours from Charleston. My dad was military. My mom was, uh, was baptized into the church in Bennettsville. Her mom, so my grandmother, this yeah. is going way back. And once again, when you're talking South Carolina, there's not a lot of lineage. Sure, uh, of course. With the, with the church. So my grandmother got baptized by the missionaries in uh, in Bennettsville, South Carolina. So my mom was raised Mormon and she said she wasn't going to remember my dad unless he joined the church. It was one of those deals. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you join the church? Great. If you don't go and join Love the it. church, Love it. ain't happening. So my dad, of course, did what he had to do uh, to get married and... So my dad was in the military. We moved yeah. around some. It wasn't horrible for me, but we were stationed towards the end in Charleston, Charleston Air Force Base. Yeah. And most of my family, as a matter of fact, a good amount of my family still live in Charleston, South Carolina. But my dad was bishop a couple times uh, and great man. My parents have all you know passed away. But yeah. growing up there, it is different. I think you have to... And they talk about being an example. Yeah. You really have to do that there. You can't drop the ball out there yeah. because it's, to me, there's more, not to say there's more at stake. That's probably not a good way to No, work, but there's more but pressure. There right? is more pressure out there yeah. than here. Because sure. here you can kind of just disappear. Yeah. Here it's you the can weirdest wing it. thing. I didn't know yeah. that until I got here and said, wow, you can just disappear out there. There are expectations, not just from the other members, like, hey, we need you. Yeah. We need you. So I jumped in and, and I was there. But, I, I think a lot of our, the members of the church that were down there did great things. Like, I mean, I was student body president and that's not to brag, but believe me, if you saw my high school, you're going, <laughs> I mean, the Mormon guy, the Mormon out of kids. all of this, yeah. this diverse crowd that we have here, they voted for that guy. That's and amazing. it's like, that's awesome. yeah, but, but I credit that. Uh, I, I credit my parents with that and my older siblings with that. I think the pressure that was out there to try harder. And I think I was exposed to different things. I was exposed to music. Yeah. I was exposed to public speaking. Sure. Those were things that I had to do because that was part of the gig. When yeah. you're growing up, especially out there, that was part of the gig. And that became part of, of who I am and who I became. So did you, I mean, were you a naturally funny kid? Was it like not surprising to everybody that you became a comedian? I think, you know, my dad was a funny guy. Yeah. And I, around our, everyone says this, it sounds horrible. No, everybody goes, everybody. Oh, our whole family was No, funny. not everybody but, does. But our family was pretty doggone funny. As yeah. a matter of fact, we recently, uh, one of my brothers passed away a couple of weeks ago and we were all back in Charleston. And I'm telling you, before, right before he died, I was there a couple weeks before that and I was talking to him and he, and he was at cancer and he was in under hospice care. But man, I'm telling you, I was laughing so hard. He was so funny yeah. and he had such a, our, our sense of humors are 
you know, weird and, but it dark, but it was still funny and it relieved the pressure. So even yeah. when I went back after he passed away and all the siblings got together, cause there's seven of us. And so the six of us got together a couple of days after he passed at one of my other brother's houses. And we just sat and talked and reminisced. And I'm telling you, it wasn't, it was funny. It was like so yeah. many funny, funny stories. So I'm not going to say I was the funny guy. I think I went for the laugh. I was the fifth out of seven kids. So getting lost in the shuffle. So that's your identity. I need to get some, I need to get a laugh. I need some attention. So I think maybe that happened, but I can tell you all my siblings are funny. Yeah. See, and I think that that's great when we are raised in families where it's valued. My, my family's very funny, you know, and I have a son who one time told one of his friends, uh, I'm pretty funny, and in my family, that's a big deal. Like it's important to be like he's analyzing. He's a super analytical kid, right? Analyzing the quotient of humor that he had within our family. Uh, so, how do you make this turn, though? You end up so you leave South Carolina. Where do you go from there? Okay, so I'll break it down for you. I'll give you the, the yeah, thumbnail give the, sketch. Give me the tour of how we. So got here. I graduated from high school, went to BYU, was put on academic probation before <laughs> I even got there. How do you get put on academic probation? I don't even know how I got in. They said it was like it was like this. It was like, hey, look, we. I don't. I don't know what the meeting was like when they accepted me, but it was like, hey, <laughs> this guy's borderline. Let's let him know this probably will not work out. This is probably going to be a big failure. However, come on out. So I went out to BYU. Uh, is there he, any chance that they saw Stubbs from South Carolina and thought he's not a white kid? We're going to get some diversity points here. And then you showed up as a white kid. They said, ah, "Put him on academic probation." Is I, that is that I, a scenario? I was on. I'm telling you, it, it didn't it didn't work out All well. Right, so you go so I BYU. went there for one semester, put my papers in. Suddenly, I'm in Ecuador. I don't know. On mission, a mission Ecuador. Two years, went to the MTC for a couple months, learned some Espanol, found um, out that that Spanish wasn't the same Spanish <laughs> as the Spanish down in Ecuador. Went down to Ecuador for two full years, 22 months, did my thing, uh, you know, came back. I tried to come back to BYU. By, by the way, everyone says, oh, here's what you need to do. This this is the end of my education right here. This was it. Yeah. Everybody on my mission or anywhere around that would say, oh, since you went on a Spanish-speaking mission, you'd be able to skip yeah, come back to into the Spanish, Spanish 400 yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know what it, the number was, but it was like two or three levels yeah, up. I've always heard that. And I went in the class one time. Yeah. I sat in that class and I thought they were speaking... It was Russian or something. It was not. I was I was so disappointed and shocked at how little I knew that I left and I never went back to school. That was that it. was it. So from there, I was a hustler, salesman. I sold peepholes door to door. I sold attic insulation. You sold peepholes. I sold peepholes door to door. I would go to like a hardware store. They didn't have Lowe's and all that back then. I'd go to a hardware store and buy like 10 peepholes and I would go door to door. And if someone didn't have a peephole, I would knock on their door and say, Hey, would you like a peephole? And I had a drill with me and sell it for like 25 bucks. I would stall it around the, install it around the spot, pocket the dough and then move. So I was, uh, I love it. That is the sketchiest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I've never, <laughs> I did I, it. I sold frozen steaks door to door. after Okay. Okay. I thought that was as low, but people knocking and going, well, if you had had a peephole, you would that, have had to talk. To that's me. exactly what I told them. It's a brilliant. Pitch. And most now people would get, yeah. Cause it, it, they're already pre-qualified. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you see a peephole, go to the next house. Yeah. But also, you're already annoyed that I'm at your door. If you'd had the peephole, you wouldn't have had to answer. Absolutely. That is genius. And I did that. And it was usually a cash deal. (laughs) Yeah. So I got me 25, a a 20 and a 5. And I was on. (laughs) You're rolling. (laughs) I was on my way. Greatest thing I've ever heard. I sold, you know, I did the, uh, I sold insulation. There were some, uh, you know, in the BYU, kind of like all the alarm stuff. Well, back then. When I was a younger gentleman, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, attic insulation sure. and books and tapes. Yeah. So I did. I participated in all the uh, going to make a million dollars in no time. Of course. They, I hear that happens. Yeah. I hear there are people that make a bundle of money. Never meet them. I was not one of them. No, no, no. I wasn't either. I, I did not uh, retire on first. Did you try steaks. that? Just the frozen steaks. Okay. That's all I, did. I never did the big. Did you make move away? Or did you carry like steaks with you? No, I know this isn't about oh, yeah. you. It's we about had a me, truck with a we had a truck with a, a freezer in the back. We throw in some. Would uh, it follow you ice. around? And uh, yeah, just the freezer was in the back of the truck, and you put in the you put in the the ice. Right. The what's the, the dry ice stuff? Dry ice stuff. Yeah, and then you go knock at a door and you go, "Hey, I got a case full of steaks." <laughs> <laughs> in my truck. You want to take a look? And you'd sell it to them, you know? But it, it didn't turn out like you. A lot of people are going, well, I don't have a place to put that much meat. Yeah, we'd always find a place. <laughs> we'd tell them that if we couldn't find Cook a place, we'd take it with us. Okay. Yeah. So so, so basically, I, long story. So I go. I decided to do stand-up comedy. Back, remember I told you I was a stockbroker? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. a stockbroker. I was in New York for a while. Right. Wall Street type thing. Payne Weber, you heard of them. Sure. Then came back to L.A. area and did, I was a stockbroker. Decided to try stand-up comedy. I knew a guy that was doing it. Jerry Mabbitt. Oh, yeah. You know Jerry. Jerry. Yeah, I know Jerry. Jerry's a sure. great guy. Of course. He was dabbling in stand-up comedy mm. way more than me. Yeah, yeah, And he was yeah. performing at the Laugh Factory uh, a good amount. Yeah, Jerry and, and his wife, both comics. Right, and I yeah, was yeah. interested. Yeah. So I thought, maybe I'll go hang out. I hung out with him, watched him, and thought, man, I, I'd like to give this a shot. And he was doing it. I mean, he was working with, at the time, but we're talking probably 1989, 88, something like that. Yeah. So... He was working with people that people go, oh, they're, who are they? They're has-beens. It's like, well, first of all, I don't like saying that about anybody. No, no, no. Uh, and that's probably because I'm old. I, I, <laughs> I have so much more respect for people that have actually lived a life. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, back then he was working with Paulie Shore when he was young. He was working yeah. with Good Carlos deal. Mencia when he was young. And he's working with all these guys, Arsenio, when they were Huge. young. So I, I, would, I watched that. And I think probably a lot of comics do the same thing I did and, and maybe not, but I, I remember going to the comedy store for me, it was the comedy store. I would go to the comedy store and this is before I started doing comedy, but I was interested in it and I would go and I would watch sh- comic after comic, after comic, after comic. Sure. And as I, the way they did at the comedy store at that time, and I believe it's pretty similar to that. Now they have comedians that do about 15 minute spots. And I would yeah. sit there from eight o'clock at night to like two in the morning and watch any number of comics. And in my own delusional mind, because I know it's delusional, I would go, okay, I can do that. I can do that. that. And yeah. then someone else would come up and go, I can't do that. That was great. And then other people would go, okay, I can't do that, but I think I can get there. So you kind of measure as you're watching it as an audience member. You try to be as honest with yourself as you can, sure. which is what I was trying to do, even though I'm sure a certain amount was being delusional. And I would watch him and go and try to size up what I thought in my mind that I could do if I decided to jump in and go for it. So I started going for it in LA. 
When when did you finally get on stage, and what was that experience like? Well, you know, I had dabbled by like in high school. I would mess around a little bit. Yeah, I did a show at BYU. I needed the money. I was so broke. And this was my one semester in 1978 between September and December. And there was a talent contest yeah. at Helaman Halls. So Helaman Halls. Yeah, yeah. Helaman Halls. And the prize was, and I could be wrong, but it, it, it seems like it was like 150 to first place or something, like 100 to second, 75 to third, whatever. It was a talent contest. So I... I thought I'm, I'm, I need the money. I got to do this. Yeah. So I entered a talent contest doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. And at the time, I did impressions. Yeah. I did, I did impressions. So I did Richard Nixon because that was timely then. Sure. Right now, it's not timely, but then it was. I did Howard Cosell. No way. I did uh, Muhammad Ali. So I did this man awesome. on the street thing with those guys, and I entered that competition at BYU, and it was me and everyone else in the competition. We're either playing the piano or the guitar and yeah, singing, singing songs yeah, from yeah, Saturday's yeah. Warrior. <laughs> so this this That's couple great. sang line upon line, precept, precept on precept. And of course they won. Yeah. They they nailed it. Because if you don't, you almost feel like you're sinning. You can't do that. You you, you have to. It's you're, like an automatic. It's a trump card. Yeah. So That's unfif I did win $75, long story short. I won money. I went, oh, okay. Oh, I can get paid for telling jokes. Kind of. Then I went on my mission. Yeah, that's the dream. And I did my thing there and then came back. And then it wasn't for a few years. Then I decided to kind of get into yeah. it. And then when I decided to get into it, I got into it just boom, full blast. Full and then when I realized that I wasn't going to be a star and make a lot of money or enough money, that's when I decided, you know what, maybe I'll open a comedy club. And that's when I came back up to Utah. Where was your first club? Ogden, Utah. And Ogden it was on was 25th Street. And it was across the street from where the new club is now. And what was that one called? Laughs. That was Laughs. Yes. You know, I think my first show was Laughs, not Chisels. Uh, I think so, because it was for you. Yeah. It was at one of your clubs. It must have been Laughs. Laughs. I forgot all about Laughs. Boy, that was a great club. And I opened uh, that in 96. Yeah, that was crazy. And I called it Laughs. The reason why is because I knew the owner of the comedy club Laughs in Albuquerque. He had one in mm. Albuquerque, one in Tucson, and one in Colorado Springs. Gotcha. And I wanted to get in the comedy club business, but I felt like I must there must be something I don't know. So I established a licensing agreement with the guy from Laughs. I said, Can I use your name? Oh, no kidding. And I'll pay you two fifty a month. That was the deal. Two hundred and fifty dollars a month to use your name. And if I have a question, Will you let me ask the question? Yeah, kind of consultative yeah. type of a thing. He said, great, do it. He yeah. was a nice enough guy. And then I did that. And then I realized, I don't think, I, I felt like I needed it. But I guess apparently I didn't need it because I was kind of doing my own thing. And then I decided to open the other club, which is where Chisels was at Trolley Square. Right, right. And that became a laughs. And then the guy said, hey, I need another 250 for that location. I went, uh, uh, yeah, no. so I thought, well, if I ever expand, I'm, I can't be on the hook for this money for the rest of my life. So long story short, it's wise guys. Yeah. Wise guys first opened in 2001. Yeah. And then that's who we are. It's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your family. But my so, wife is Noelle Stubbs and she's awesome. She runs the Ogden wise guys. Yeah. And then, so Jake's 18. He's doing stand up. Awesome. He's got a gig tonight. He's getting paid for his first time. Oh, which is so we went to forget. we went to lunch today and yeah went through it all yeah, and I yeah, tried to yeah. give him whatever tips I've got. He probably won't listen and that's that's probably yeah 
probably a good decision. <laughs> but I tried to give him whatever knowledge. I'm trying to just pour whatever knowledge yeah. I have into him. Because it can be hard. Oh, you know, it oh, can be hard. Yes, I know. Even though you could, you could do it 20 years and it's like sometimes you're like, did I just start? Is this my first time on stage? Because I've lost everything. But there are also, out of fairness, there are things you don't control. Mm-hmm. I, I did a gig once at, at Little America that I walked in. We had agreed upon a time. Mm-hmm. I come walking in the back, jacket still on, backpack, and there's a guy up there. And someone else hadn't shown up to give a speech or something. And as I walk in the back door, he goes, I think that's our comic there. Please welcome our comedian. Oh, I hadn't even set my stuff down yet. Man. You try winning that crowd. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. You we, learn those things. You learn oh, those things oh, as you go. Yeah. Right? I've, once again, I've got, I've You've a, got a million stories. Like Mitt Romney. I've got a binder full of stories <laughs> that are, that are just heartbreaking. People go, golly, well, why do you do it if it's all that? It's like, I don't know. I love it. I love and it. And you've got how many kids? I've got, uh, well, I have a daughter, Megan, from my first marriage. She yeah. lives in California. She's awesome. She works for a nonprofit, lives in Culver City. Jake is 18 years old. Amy is 13 years old. Amazing. Drew is 11 years old. And then Aiden is nine years old. I remember talking to you when Amy was born. She's awesome. 13. Yeah. Uh, that's unbelievable. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's different. Having a little girl. And it's got to be cool for all of them thinking, my dad's a comedian. I mean, that's uh, that's cool points. But of course, you've been a comedian their whole lives. Right. But you know, when the kids are sitting around and they're going, yeah, my dad, you know, does auto repair or whatever, which is all noble. <laughs> but then to go, oh yeah, my dad's a comedian. He owns a comedy club. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they think. And that's probably best. No, it's cool. I, I I'll hope. tell you what they think. They think it's cool. <laughs> How can it not be cool? I don't know. Maybe it's because you and I think it's cool. Anyway. Yeah, but, I just want them to... You know, be happy. Could it be reverse? Yeah. Could they be sitting there going, yeah, Rolling my dad's an accountant. Right. Like, that's cool. My yeah. dad's an accountant. I don't yeah. want you to know he's a comedian. Yeah, my dad's stressed Well, out. that's impossible now because let's talk about dry bar. Like, all yeah. of a sudden, this is so certainly when, when you started, when I started, you know, I mean, this was, you know, you maybe had the guy who snuck in the massive camcorder. Like, right. no one could record you on accident. Right, right, you know, right. And all the clubs are very tight about you don't record. Now it's phones, whatever, but, but then you do dry bar comedy and you're all over the place. What mm-hmm. was that experience like? I was fun. It was good. Yeah. I've done stuff like that in, in the past. Yeah. So have you. You, yeah, you've had, you've had, uh, for a while you had a TV crew coming to your club. Yeah. Yeah. Week. We, we've done all Wise that stuff, TV. but it was fun doing that. But it's different though now with the internet, right? I mean, it's a little bit different now. Yeah. I kind of hate, can really I tell you, there. I kind of hate a lot of that. Yeah. I hate it. I hate that. I hate the, listen to me. I hate the negativity. It's like, well, you just said hate. It's like, yeah, whatever. I'm, people are, I liked it better when I didn't know how mean people were. Yeah. Like, I agree. Like, you have neighbors, not necessarily my neighbor, but you know, you have these people, you assume that people do their thing, but when you find out how hateful people really are, it's discouraging. I, I would, I like not knowing. I don't yeah. think I need to know everything about everybody. And I believe a lot of people put that out there to the point where it's like, it's very disappointing to me and discouraging to find out how mean people are, the mean pe- things people say, the, they, they can't go anywhere without reviewing it. It's like, yeah. man, you go to McDonald's, you don't like their fries. What do you want? You're going to try to get someone fired. This guy's making $10 an hour. Yeah, you want to get hard. him canned? 
Because why? Because you probably got cold. Tough. <laughs> know what? Don't go there again. Yeah. Or whatever. Remember the good old days when if you didn't yeah. like something, you didn't go. You just didn't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Now everyone has a soapbox. They got to stand on it. They got to pound their chest. Yeah. And I absolutely. And there's hate no it. barrier to entry for it. There's no. You don't pay a penalty because you don't even use your real name. Mm-hmm. Because you go, oh man, I'm going to go out and find Dragon Master 1846. Right. He's going to pay for that. Like, you know, it, 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 you are... can't even find. And because of it, people will throw out. So so I looked at, I watched a bunch of your stuff. It's a brilliant, brilliant set. Oh, thank you. I mean, you had, you were on that night. You were killing that night. Right. And the comments that I saw were fantastic. I don't read comments. So, well, Did I'll you know that? tell you. No, I no, 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 no. I don't read comments. No, I, I, that's honest... probably healthy. I, I, well, you know what? I'll tell you when that started. My brother's a football coach. Yeah. And uh, one of my brothers, is he coached for years. And um, he coached, he was at BYU a long time ago, but he ended up coaching at Alabama. I'm talking oh, big, wow. big time big, college big football. Yeah. And uh, when things went south a little bit for him at Alabama, which as a football coach, yeah. eventually it's going to go south unless you are Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or whoever. Sure, of course. But everyone has ups and downs in, in their career. Right. And I'll never forget that my brother, when he was there, he, uh, when he was in, he lived in Tuscaloosa and he's, I asked him some questions about what was going on. He said, I don't read the paper. I don't listen <laughs> to the radio. Yeah. I don't do, I go, really? And I was shocked because I was on this other side. I mean, it makes sense to me now, yeah. but I was, and this was before the internet and he was, you know, they, they work you over in all those things. He said, I don't have the time for it. I don't need it. And, 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 and I know what I'm doing. And if it's not fine, then that's fine. But I don't need to have right. people taking shots. So I won't, I don't read comments. People are unqualified. And, and you know what? I take, I'll tell you one thing about the comedy club business. To, this all ties in, by the way. I yeah. apologize if there's anybody listening still. Um, <laughs> we got it. We've got a good listenership. We're going to love this. And I appreciate them listening. No, they I hope this. they're still with it. But do you remember the comedy clubs back in the day? They used to have comment cards. Oh, yeah. And sure. they had comment cards that they would put out all over on all the tables. And they would say, who would you like to see perform here at this comedy club? Yeah. Whatever the comedy club. It could have been Knuckleheads in Minneapolis or whatever the sure. club was. You bet. Who do you want to see? And they would leave three little blanks and people would write down, Jim Carrey, uh, Eddie Murphy. It's like, okay, idiot. They're yeah. not coming here, <laughs> first of all. They're not. It's not going to happen. Right. And then rate the comedians yeah. that you saw. The opener. What did you think of him? One, yeah. two, three, four, five. Why didn't, and this was before Yelp. This was before yeah. all that nonsense. Right. And... I remember one night I was in Colorado Springs and I was sitting there with the owner of that comedy club, Larry, who was a great guy. And he sat there with a stack of these comment cards. And basically he used the comment cards to get people's birthday so they can give away free passes. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah. come yeah. back and do a birthday thing. Smart. So he had these cards and he was going, Oh, okay. This guy, this guy smoked a pipe. He'd sit there with a pipe and kind of good guy, really good guy. He had that pipe. We'd sit there with a the pipe and he'd look at the car and go, okay. Yeah. These guys like you. Oh, this guy, this guy hated your guts. And, it, and so when you hear someone likes you, you go, oh, really? Uh, yeah. And they go, this guy hated you. And what do you remember the next day, Sean Revere? Yeah, you remember the person who hated you. Exactly. You, I don't need that. Yeah. Here's what I also don't need. <clears throat> I don't need people telling me who to book. I know that sounds arrogant, but I, it, I'm not going to ask, hey, if I asked a crowd tonight at the show, who should yeah. we bring in? They're going to go, oh, bring in Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Well, Jerry Seinfeld's not coming here. Jerry yeah. Seinfeld's doing... 3,000 yeah. seats. So, Auditoriums, yeah. So I don't, I don't need to, and I don't need to ask people, what did you think of Sean Rapier? Yeah. One through five. 
I know what I think of Sean Rapier, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Because I feel like, this sounds arrogant, I feel like I know better than they do. Because I know what it's like. I feel like I know. This is what you do. Yeah, it really is. So I do listen to people, and I do take phone calls, and I talk yeah, to yeah. all the agents, and I talk to managers, and I talk to comedians. But a lot of just random knuckleheads <laughs> telling me, yeah. hey, you need to bring in Robin Williams. May he rest in peace. Bring in Robin like, yeah. come on, man. I paid 10 bucks. You right. have to listen to me. Right. Yeah, they think that's part of the price of admission. I think there's something else for, for comedians, and especially young comedians, is the reverse danger of that, too. The people who come up to you and say, hey, man, you were hilarious. Great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy may have had six beers during the show. <laughs> and like he thinks that... That moment is hilarious. Like, And I've seen comedians get really full of themselves, uh-huh. too. And so I think gauging yourself against what others think generally is just a bad plan. Well, I think if you can somehow, and this takes a long time, and it took me, I believe, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm out of my mind, but I feel like I've got a good grip on where I am yeah, and who I am and what I do. Sure. And what I look like, even though every time I look in a mirror, I go, is this really what's happened? We all is do. This tr- every you know? one of us. But there's a point when you have to come to grips with like, this right. is really. This is who I am. Because sometimes life. you think, do I really look like that? And it's yeah. like, you actually do, even though it's killing you. But sure. so now I feel like I'm at a point where I don't feel like I need someone to tell me, uh, hey, you know, that joke was uh, good or that joke was bad. It's like, man, I, I know when I'm on stage, I know every single second. When it's good, yeah. and I know every single second when I've lost you, yeah. when it's gone, when it's tanked. Believe me, if For you sure. don't think I know or you don't know, or like any comic, they know when it's not good. You don't need to tell me that it's no that one, you're on a sinking ship. No one ever needs to tell a comic when they're dying. We know. But I'll tell you something that should give you a lot of peace. <laughs> and that is, and this is probably where your peace comes from, a lot of it. You've got people all over the country who love and revere you for what you have done for comedy. Comedy is not a growing art. Stand-up is not a, like, you know, we're not getting 15 new clubs in every city. There are rooms that are growing. Mm -hmm. But for comics, a comedy club is their lifeblood. Mm -hmm. And Keith, I don't know if you realize the way comics talk about you. It's like this gratitude and this love. I've had them on the show. I probably had 10 comics on the show who talk about you and how without you, they don't have a career. You understand they don't, they, they don't have a way to feed their families without you. You give them that platform and that opportunity and you get people in here every night laughing. And I believe that laughter is heavenly. And I've talked to other comics about loud laughter. And of course there's all that I'm not talking about sacred things. But the joy that you have brought to the world is a gift that will go on and on. Ryan Hamilton, in these massive, massive places he plays and Netflix specials and working with Jerry Seinfeld and massive theaters, when people sit down with him like this and they say, how did you get started? He opens his mouth and starts with Keith Stubbs. And I'm a big believer that the most important thing we have in this world is what we give. And your entire career has been giving. It's been making people laugh. It's been giving young comics a place to be. It's been giving like veteran comics a safe place where they can come and exercise their craft and they can do their art. And I think that, I hope that you get that sense of that. 
because that's a lot of why I wanted to have you on the show. Because that's for me, Keith. I, I don't get to headline without you. Johnny wasn't going to let me. He did not like Utah County Comics to headline. And you said, you come up to my club. And it's not because I, I look back now. And it's not because I was a comedic <laughs> genius. <laughs> I know that now. At the time, I was full of myself. But I think that, again, if we're here to bring joy to others, then you've got your place in heaven because that's been your life. And whether or not you know it, that's your legacy. I'll tell you that. Are you going to speak at my funeral? Am I dying? I think right I just now? did. <laughs> I think it's recorded, so you can just press play in case I'm out of town. Well, you're very kind. You're very yeah. kind. And I will say this I do not take credit for anyone's art. I, I do like giving the opportunity um, to people, but it's up to them to write and do it yeah. and, and put it out. And I will never take credit for anyone's, when I say their stuff, what they do, because yeah. I know how hard it is to even write my own yeah. stuff it's and hard. do my own thing. But but if people want to, so if people want to come to Wise Guys, where do they find you online? Uh, they can find me at my website. I, I heard that it's it's still up. <laughs> my personal I've been Word told on the street. I've been told that it's uh, keithstubbs.com and so then wiseguyscomedy.com is the uh, the website for the yeah the juggernaut I don't know if it's a juggernaut we have three locations we have Ogden yeah. we have Gateway and Downtown then we have Salt Lake Jordan Landing and then Jordan Landing that's the new one which is huge it's an empire it's awesome it's fantastic wow so and during this week we will share some of your clips uh on our facebook page and on our social media especially about the length of church oh, which boy. has me crying it's so funny you know it's such a good bit can i tell you one day yeah one day they're gonna see it my way <laughs> one day and then that's gonna be so obsolete but right now yeah i'm right you're I know right. I'm right. I'm right on that one, yeah. right? You're absolutely spot on. <laughs> and it's every six months at conference, everybody holds their breath. This is the year. You know what? Two hour, conference, two, two hour block is coming. I was asked when I was in South Carolina a couple weeks ago, I was yeah. talking to my sister. And she says, what do you think was worse? Because this is how it was in Charleston. Yeah. Is that we would go in the morning and, and the, our chapel was in downtown Charleston and we lived in North Charleston and there wasn't the same freeway system. In the I, 70s. I remember. I know where you're going. With <clears throat> and this. we would go to church in the morning and then come home and then three or four hours later we'd go back for sacrament meeting and then come back and they asked me what was worse doing that priesthood, Sunday school, going home and then going back or what it is now. And what's your answer to that? Do you have an answer for me? I like the split, except that that meant also you're locked into Tuesday night with primary too. That's right. Remember Tuesday That's night right. was primary. I, I remember that. this, by the way. I remember this. We were the same way. I would say that was rougher. Yeah. Well, especially geography wise. I mean, I grew up in California. We're 15 minutes away from our chapel, 20 mm -hmm. minutes. That's a lot of driving. That is a lot of driving. It I sounds like nothing. I my chapel now, so now it'd be easy. Of course. Yeah, if you're yeah. living in Utah, it's not yeah. such a big deal. Yeah, but yeah, back yeah. then, it was horrible. It but, was big. But yes, I'm a visionary when it comes to that. With yeah, the, with you're gonna, the, you nailed it. One and, day. And especially They should life. let me make the announcement. Yeah. I think whenever, <laughs> whenever, whenever the decision's been made, I think someone should say, we need, at least have me in the room. Yeah. I'd like to have me stand up and just you're do a tip catalyst. of the cap. And go, yes, thank yeah. you. I was so ahead of this. And for our audience, <laughs> you'll check out the clip. You'll understand it all. <laughs> Especially the, your line about, was it 2.45 and someone said, just not quite enough. That is such, 
you know, comics always glob onto other comics lines. That line, I just went, that is the best. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap up with the same, same question that we ask every one of our guests at the end of the show. We've had one-word answers. We've had longer answers. But the question is, what does being a member of the church mean to you, Keith Stubbs? Contentment. Mm. Boy, that's in short supply, huh? Mm-hmm. Just being content. Yeah. Keith, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you for all you've done, and thank you for uh, sharing this time with us. Appreciate it. My special thanks to Keith Stubbs. What a great guy. And you notice Keith is a really humble, just good, good guy. Whenever I talk about what he was doing, he'd always kind of deflect and does not like to talk about himself and all the great things he does, just loves to lift people up and make them laugh and, and just does such great things. And it was so fun being back in his uh, in his club, meeting him there and doing the interview there was wonderful. Um, you know, we talked about how Keith gave me my first chance to headline, how Johnny Biscuit gave me my first chance to do stand-up. And uh, this week in my Latter-day life, I've been thinking a lot. April is always a special month for me. 21 years ago this month, I started in my actual career. We adopted a one-year-old and a two-year-old um, 21, more than 21 years ago. My, my wife came back to me and she said, hey, uh, I would like to stay home with these kids and you're going to need to support our family. Now, I was not a talented enough comedian where I thought that uh, I could really make a living at it, and I was doing some other things, but but none of them were really going to take care of my family. And so uh, my one of my best friends, Mike Cannell, mentioned to me, hey, you should really get a corporate sales job. You'd be good at that. Now, I had not done college. I had not had any real corporate experience. There was no reason anyone should hire me, but I prayed and prayed and prayed. And through a series of crazy events, I ended up uh, meeting with this company called System Connection 21 years ago. And when I met with the HR person, she just thought that, hey, here's a, a guy who has no experience. We have no reason to hire him. Uh, I ended up meeting with uh, several people higher up in the company, and I think they all kind of came to the consensus that I was not the right guy. This was a really good career job. And then I met with the president of the company, a man named Rick McCloskey. And Rick is a special spirit. Everyone who meets him just loves him. And he has this way of, I think he's got discernment where he can tell who someone is just by by meeting them and really understand their souls. And for whatever reason, Rick stepped forward and said, we're going to give this young man a chance. We're going to give him a job. And I ended up getting the job as the Utah sales rep for System Connection, a company selling computer cables to retailers and people who who uh, use cables. And I was so grateful for that opportunity that I worked. Oh man, did I work. And I worked, I outworked everybody. I mean, I just, I, that was the only thing I knew I could do. I may not be more talented. I definitely didn't have more experience, but I could work. And I worked my way in that company from being the Utah sales rep to being a national sales manager. The company was acquired by another company. I uh, worked my way up to being the distribution sales manager. Uh, That company went out of business, unfortunately, a few years later, but I was able to 
take the experience I had and then get another job and, and another. And for 21 years, uh, I really have not had any time where I've been had a major lack of employment. I've had this incredible career that I still have today. And this past week, uh, Rick McCloskey, who is now in a bishopric for a YSA ward, serving with his wonderful wife, Kim, he had called me up and asked if I would come out and do a fireside for their ward. And what a blessing it was to see Rick again, and the gratitude I have for him, because he took a chance on a young man, and I have been able to feed my family for 21 years because of him. And sometimes in life, we get these opportunities where someone just needs a chance. And I'm so grateful for guys like Rick and guys like Keith and how great it was to see both of them this past week and to recognize where my life is because of people like them and to hopefully not be too quick to judge and to give other people an opportunity now that I'm in a position to do so as well. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please tune in next Monday morning where we've got a really fun, fun episode next week uh, that I think you're really going to enjoy. If I could ask one favor, if you can think of anyone who might enjoy the show, gosh, we are really growing, but we want to get these uh, conversations out to as many people as possible. If you could share the show or review it, anything to help us grow, we would really appreciate it. So until next week, please remember, as always, that there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.